morning. Thank you. I'm glad I'm here too. All right. Well, I've talked to a lot fewer people than this before. One of the things that I think the Lord taught me early on was whoever shows up, that's who you talk to. So we're going to go for it this morning. So this might seem like kind of a strange thing to ask you to do, but I want you to think about someone or an incident in your life when someone has hurt you with anger. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> what did that feel like? Hurts. Painful, isn't it? Sometimes it's really painful. Sometimes it's you know, just painful. So let me ask you the second question is, have you ever hurt anyone with your anger? So we tend to view that a little bit differently. Some people are oblivious to the impact that they have on another person's life. That uh, we don't like to be hurt, but we're not always as sensitive as we could be about hurting or the impact of hurt on someone else. You, Most of you would remember the story that I've told a couple of times about the pressure cooker that I left cooking too long and the thing blew out of it and it blew stuff all over the kitchen. If I would have just turned down the heat, that wouldn't have happened. And if we would just turn down the heat in our emotions and in our life, then it would save us from hurting a lot of people. Now, I'm not somebody who typically will you know, my eyes will get big and my blood vessels will pop out and I get red-faced and go after somebody. That, I, mean, I, I can't remember the last time that happened. But my girls used to tell me that they would watch my jaw. And if my jaw started clenching a little bit, a little harder now because I gained a little weight, but when I was skinny, that jaw, you could just see it moving over there. They'd always know when they see the jaw, it's time to dial down. So this morning, I want to talk about uh, gentleness. And a lot of people can't identify with the term gentleness. Uh, but it's a pretty good thing to think about. How many of you remember Charles Krautheimer? Yeah. Remember him? He's a guy, he was a Fox News commentator. He wrote, a, wrote a, a column for the Washington Post, I believe it was. He was a conservative columnist, brilliant man, had a doctorate. He was a, actually a psychiatrist and uh, gave up his practice and became a political commentator, I think during the Reagan administration is when he first started, but he's brilliant, brilliant guy. And I heard him say one time, he said, one of the greatest functions of society is to civilize men. How many of you, how many of you have ever had a little boy in your house? 
You know, they, there's a lot, of, lot, a lot of people that are saying, no difference between girls and boys, baloney. Now, I know there's some girls that are rambunctious. There's no question about that. But if you have a little boy in your house, I mean, Tarek, <laughs> he needs to be civilized, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's really true. Most of us, as boys, or if we've had boys, You've got to you've got to direct them a little bit. They need to be civilized. My mom, uh, well, I thought about this. I thought one of the ways my mom tried to civilize me was when I remember when I first started going out on dates. My mom would always say to me when I left the house, "You be a gentleman." Now, I can tell you exactly what she meant by that. She meant by that that when you drive up in front of the house to pick up this girl, you go to the door, you meet her parents, you're kind and gracious to her parents, say please and thank you. When you leave, you open the door and let her go out first. When you get to the car, you open the door and let her get in first. When you get out of the car, you open the door and let her out first. And keep your hands to yourself. That was really the major thing about my mom teaching me to be a gentleman. You keep your hands to yourself. I don't know what gentleness means to you, but it's, uh, it's something to be sought, to seek the Lord for. Uh, my dog, Jake, that I talk about just about every week, is not a gentleman. I had to I had to shovel my sidewalk on one side three times yesterday. And it wasn't because it snowed. It was because Jake is not a gentleman. <laughs> He'd get up in the snow drifts and knock it back out into the sidewalk and I'd have to clean it up again. He runs past me, almost knocks me over sometimes, headed for the door. There's one area where he's a gentleman. Ginger taught him this. When he gets a treat... He, we used to hold a treat out, and man, he, he got big teeth. And he'd just he'd grab it from me and run. But Ginger taught him, she, she says, take it nice. And he comes up, and he goes like this, takes that treat out of her hand. And once he gets it, he runs and hides so you won't take it away from him. <laughs> so he's got some gentlemanly characteristics. We all know the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. If we'd follow that simple rule, it would save a lot of hurt in life. Give, and it will be given to you as just a few verses down. However you treat people, whatever you give to people, you'll get back multiplied. So if you're gentle, then that will increase the odds of people treating you in a gentle way. I've drilled this one into you numbers of times. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, be an influencer, not be influenced. Don't let someone else's evil behavior cause you to respond in an evil way. And then Jesus said these words. They're, they're translated uh, in ways that we can't identify with very well normally. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Is way Lots of translations translate that. I like the New American Standard translation. It says, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle. The message uh, 
I like the message sometimes because he, he uh, really unpacks things in a great way. And in Galatians chapter 5 where it says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. When it comes to gentleness, P Eugene Peterson says, not needing to force your way through life. Now think about that. Not needing to force your way through life. If you force your way, then you're not being a gentleman or a gentle lady. Resist the temptation to force your way through life. Turn down the heat. I have this little clicker. It's on my desk in my office. I come in in the morning, and I turn it on, and then I set the temperature on my little heater over there, and pretty soon it's hot. You don't have to think about it. You just turn down the heat. So that's the phrase I want you to remember this morning is when, when the heat starts, starts to rise in you, it's going to cause you to act in ways that you really don't want to act. Turn down the heat. You can make a decision to do that. Turn down the heat. Now, some things that tempt us to force our way through life are pressure, pressure in marriage, pressure at work, Pressure with our kids, pressure with finances, pressure with time. What happens? When you get pressure, the heat starts rising. Hurry. You've heard me say before, Dr. Dallas Willard says that the worst enemy of your spiritual life is hurry. When I get in a hurry, I get completely insensitive. Uh, I was out shoveling off the sidewalk the other day and... Ginger came out on the porch. She was trying to cheer me up because it was cold, and she knows I don't like to go shovel the snow. So she says, you're a handy guy to have around the house. She's just kind of you know, trying to cheer me up. I go, huh. <laughs> it wasn't harsh, but I was kind of rude. Confrontation. How many of you like confrontation? Hope you don't raise your hand. Nobody likes confrontation. I've had to face confrontation more times than you can imagine as a pastor. And when I face confrontation, I tend to amp up. So I have to make a decision. Turn down the heat. Just turn it down a little bit. Fear. If you're afraid that someone is going to hurt you or take advantage of you, you tend to, tend to rise up. Pride. Talking down to people, being defensive, and selfishness. I want what I want, and I want it now. Get out of my way. I know when I think that way that I'm not going to be a gentle person. So how did I come up with that list? Mirror. Mirror. <laughs> Those are the things that cause me to get amped up. And I suspect that you can identify. And when, when you do, you step back, you step away, you fan yourself, whatever you need to do to turn down the heat. Some people found the phrase WWJD helpful. I think it was a man, I think his name was Sheldon. In the early 1900s, wrote a book. And it was filled with that phrase, what would Jesus do? Always ask yourself that question, what would Jesus do? WWJD. So Vern Streeter and I were at lunch a few years ago, 
and we were, we were talking about staff members, and he said, I can't, this one particular person, I can't, I, they haven't been there very long, but they, they always do things just the opposite of what I think they should do. And so I said, well, maybe you should teach them WWVD. What would Vern do? It's, it's helpful because then you can anticipate, okay, if I'm in this situation, I don't know what to do, he's my boss, what would he do? And I used myself as an example, WWSD, but I think WWJD would probably serve you better. I love this scripture in Matthew. It's a quotation from Isaiah. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It's talking about Jesus. A bruised reed, it's like, it's like a, a leaf that's about to break or a branch that's about to break. It's, it's obviously Im imagery, but he won't come along and break that off. If you're, about, if you're fragile, he's not going to come along and break you. He'll put, a, he'll put a, a stint there. Keep trying to get it to grow back together again and heal. He'll not snuff out a smoldering wick. You know a smoldering wick, a flame is just about to go out. He won't come and pinch it out. He'll come and blow it back into flame. It's the nature of Jesus to be gentle. I love this passage. We misuse it most of the time. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The, the reference to yoke there is his teachings. The rabbi's yoke is his teachings. And what that's referring to is that the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, would, would pile on expectations. You've heard me say many times before, 900 and some rules they had. Pile it on. People always felt like, I can't measure up. I just can't do it. I can't get it done. I feel burdened down. I feel unforgiven when I'm around you. I feel heavy when I'm around you. And Jesus said, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus doesn't place religious burdens on people. He relieves people of burdens. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for I'm humble in heart, gentle and humble in heart. I love that. So let's think, to, think to, through some questions together. Number one is, is your life characterized by gentleness? Now you might say, well, that's just not who I am. Well, it's not who I am either. And I don't think it's who any of us are by nature. We can be hard, we can be harsh, we can be critical, we can be tough, we can be abrasive if we're put under enough pressure. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I want to, I want to, you know, I'm always simplifying all the law and the prophets, Jesus said, are summed up in this one phrase, love God and love people. Paul's writings in, in at least three of his books, it's very clear in three of his books, he spends the first three chapters telling you how God treats you. This is how much God loves you. 
He treats you with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness. And then the second part of the book, he says, live a life worthy or of equal value to the calling you've received. So this is how God treats you. Would you please treat, treat people that same way? And there are all kinds of lists. Be compassionate, be gentle, and so forth. So, gosh, I'm, I'm kind of simple-minded, I guess, but that's pretty easy for, for me to think about. If I think about, okay, I got on my knees in 1970 and I cried out to the Lord and I didn't deserve it. Even, my, even the room communicated that, but Jesus forgave me. He didn't wait till I got good enough. He reached down into my life and said, here, let me help you. I want to show you how to live. I forgive you. Golly. <laughs> and Paul's appeal is, treat people like that. He was merciful to you. He was kind to you. He's compassionate to you. He's forgiving. You go, you go treat people like God treats you. That's not easy to do, but it's easy to understand. This is what I should do. This is what I can do. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore is God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If Jesus left his throne in heaven, came down to this earth where I was in sin and said, Take my hand. I forgive you and I want to show you how to live. Why would I not want to do that to my fellow man? No, I don't, I don't love them. They're, they're this or they're that. He said, don't, don't, don't treat them like they deserve to be treated. Treat them the way that I treated you. Help them along the way. Be compassionate and kind and gentle. He uses the term, clothe yourselves. Do you all know what a wife beater shirt looks like? I was going to bring one this morning. I thought, nah, I don't want to show everybody that thing. I even hate the name wife beater shirt. That's horrible. It's horrible. Or, uh, you know, my, I was going to bring my Harley vest too, and I decided not to do that. I don't want to be a bad boy. You know, I want to be a man's man. I don't want to be a bad boy. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothing makes a statement, doesn't it? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There was a principal that I had in, in school. His name was Hose Nose. <laughs> That's what everybody called him, Hose Nose. He had the biggest nose. I mean, Jack Hayford... Jack Hayford's got a big nose, too. He, he makes fun of his nose. He says a 747 could flap that thing. <laughs> Ho's nose was... He was my oldest brother's principal in Klamath Falls, Oregon. My, my oldest brother's 11 years older than I am. So when my brother was in high school, Ho's nose is his principal, and my brother put a condom on the water faucet and filled it up and left it there. Ho's nose didn't like that. Seven years later, my second brother is attending high school in Redmond, Oregon. Guess who the principal is? <laughs> Hose Nose. He remembered my older brother. And the Simmons name was not positive to him. 
And he, he took my brother one day, grabbed and he deserved it. He grabbed him by the collar and threw him up against the locker. He was my principal, too. I never got thrown up against the locker. Apparently, I was a little bit more gentlemanly. Actually, I was afraid of hose nose. So number one is, is your life characterized by gentleness? Number two, how do you treat someone who makes a mistake? The question is that, uh, is how do you like to be treated when you make a mistake? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So I, I, Ginger and I were out at, at Jim Bode Scott's ranch about a year and a half ago, and his daughters, he's got a huge ranch, lots of cattle, so they have lots of horses, and his daughters were out in the horse barn, and they had two ponies out there that uh, they, they'd never even had a halter on or a bridle or anything. And each of them had, I don't know what you call them, but there was this leather kind of a stick-like thing with a little fuzzy thing on the end. I don't know what you call them, but they had one of those. And, and Ginger and I stood out there for about an hour watching them. And they would, they would, each of them had a different pony in the, in the different stall. And they'd take this and they'd try and move it to, to where they could touch them. And the pony would back up, back up, back up. If they get too close, you know how horses' eyes get really big? It's not a good look. <laughs> they spent, I don't know how long it takes them to get to the place where they can rub that on the horse and it won't bother them, but they were patiently and gently. I said, how long does it take you to do that? I said, oh, sometimes a long time. But, but after we do this and they're not afraid of us anymore, then we can put a halter on and eventually we can put a bit in their mouth and eventually we can put a blanket over their back and then a saddle and we can ride them. They were gentle. They weren't terrorizing them. You know, people don't like to be terrorized either. You who are you who live by the Spirit, restore that person gently. So how do we treat people who sin? Uh, one, one of the things about the church, I've told you more times than I need to, but the church didn't treat Ginger and I right because of their perception of us and Boy, that impacts how I, how I want to treat people. Whatever they've done, we've all got a story. Treat them gently. Don't force your way. You. I was, I was brought up with that kind of terror from the pulpit. Terrified. One commentator says the word restore there refers to was used in the Greek language as, as repairing a net for f further use. So the net's probably you prepare it for further use. Or setting a bone in place. You ever seen a compound fracture? You know, if, you, if you're going to prepare someone for further use, that's the goal when we're dealing with a sinner. We want to help them come to a place in their life where God can use them. Now some things have to happen. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, all those kinds of things. But if you're gentle and merciful 
and that's your goal, that's going to impact how you treat them. I don't want to treat you like a horrible sinner. I want to treat you like someone that God loves and help you be prepared for God to use you. There's been several situations since I've been in this church where somebody, somebody came to me with a past and they were terrified of what I was going to think. But if your goal is to prepare them to be used by the Lord, you're going to treat them a lot differently. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This generation is better, I think, but previous generations, the generation I was brought up in in a way, and sometimes I'd, I'd talk to my kids. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you recognize the association between discipline and discipling, that helps. Purpose is to disciple them. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Submit to each other. With children, what's the goal for your children? That they would be discipled in a way that they could be used by the Lord. You're not disciplining them with harshness and hardness. Disciple them. My uncle and I used to haul hay in the summertime and it'd be 100 degrees outside and we'd be bucking bales and after we'd finish a load we'd stop by the pond by the field and jump in the pond and cool off. Just turn down the heat. Turn down the heat in your relationships. How do you think about people? How do you talk about people? Are you harsh, hard? Or are you gentle? Third question is, how do you treat someone who disagrees with you? One time, there's a, there's a man that I, I was his pastor for probably, probably 30 years, close to 30 years. His name was Jack Morrison. He was a great, big, red-headed guy. He used to be the, I don't know if it was the principal or what it was at the Votech Center. And he was, a, he was a big man. He was probably 6'2 or 6'3 and a big guy. And he was one of the most kind, gentle people that I've ever been around. He hugged people. He loved people. He, he was just a great guy to be around. You loved being around him. And he'd probably been in the church for two or three years by this time. And I walked out of the... I just finished preaching the greatest sermon in the world, of course, and I walked out the door... And man, he laid right in the middle of me. Stan, what are you? Man, he went for me. I thought, oh my gosh. And instead of confronting him, I turned and I walked down the stairs. And the next time he saw me, he, he said, I'm sorry for the way I talked to you the other day. Now the truth is, I wasn't being gracious. I was, I was afraid. I, I got to admit it. I was afraid. You know why he was mad at me? You know why he got so explosive? I changed translations of the Bible. I went from the New American Standard to the NIV, and he had to buy a new Bible. Gosh, I'd have bought him a Bible if I'd have known that was it. I'd just buy you one. 
Since I've been here, there was one situation, Arnie would remember this, where a woman was, was, she never said anything to me, but she was grumbling to everybody else. I didn't love people. I didn't care about people. I didn't care anything about people. And, the audience, and this came back to me. I thought, what? So I had Arnie call her. I said, have her come in this week. I want to talk to her. And so she came in the front door, and her husband was with her. I'd never seen him before. I thought, oh. We sat down at the table, and, and I approached it from the perspective, not that she'd been saying things, but how can I help you with the problem that you're having? And Arnie, Arnie would remember this. We had a conversation with her, and she was a little, little bristly at first, but she dialed down, and her husband was my biggest advocate. Why? Because he lived with that. And Arnie and I talked gently to her, and pretty soon she, I said, is that, is that, is that going to work for you? And she said, yeah, yes, that'll, that'll be great. If I would have approached her with something other than gentleness, you can imagine what that conversation would have ended up like. That's what she expected. I've learned in my old age, one of the rules, one of my rules for leadership is don't let mean people lead. Uh, I, I always taught my church council members, if I'm not in the room and you're talking about something, don't let the strongest voice win. It's not always right. I learned by watching people over the years, if you let mean people lead, it takes a toll on people's lives. They're fearful, they're afraid, they're hurt. And we all make mistakes, that's not the point. But if somebody's just a mean person, you don't want to put them in a position of leadership. Second Timothy 2, beginning verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, Boy, I wish that some of my pastors with me growing up would have read this verse. <laughs> Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. I love Proverbs. I, I usually read a proverb every day. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We all know what that's like, don't we? From both ends. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. And a gentle tongue, listen to this, a gentle tongue can break a bone. My grandma was, a, was the most gentle person I think I've ever been around, but she could say something. It was like, oh, grandma, you're so sweet. Ouch. <laughs> the last question is, how do you treat people who question your faith? I don't know if you remember or not. I don't remember how much detail I went in it, but I was on an airplane one time. I used to fly a lot, so I got upgrades. I was flying back and forth to Los Angeles, you know, three or four times a month. And, and so I got upgrades all the time, and I was in first, first class, got an upgrade that day, and, and I was sitting next to this guy, and he was reading through this book, and I thought maybe he was a book editor or something, but it wasn't. And I, so I asked him, I said, are you, because are you, I'm interested in writing. I said, are you a book editor? And he says, no, I'm a movie producer. Really? And uh, so we talked, and he found out that I was a pastor. And so I said, I said, I don't, I don't, 
started trying to talk to him about significant things, and he kept looking back over his shoulder. And there was a woman sitting in the seat behind him, one seat behind us, on the, on, like on my seat behind me. He kept looking at her, and what he was doing is hinting that I would trade places with her. I didn't do it. <laughs> so I sat there, and I started asking some questions. I said, I said have, you ever, have you ever thought about making a movie, movie about some Christian characters? I said, are you familiar with the story of Joseph? Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with the story of Joseph. I said, gosh, what a great movie that would make. Then we talked about several things, and, but, but we talked to each other. I mean, he believed in aliens and everything. And I, and, but I just tried to gently ask him some questions and probe a little bit. I wanted him to know all Christians aren't crazy. I'm not crazy. You know, I can actually be kind to you and ask you some nice questions. And so when we got off the plane, he was waiting for his significant other who was behind me. And I shook his hand. And I said, man, it was nice, it was nice talking to you today. And, and sincerely, he said to me, it was really nice talking to you too. Ginger taught me not to use the power washer on the flower bed. <laughs> that's a good lesson. That's true, that's true when you're trying to witness to people. How many times do people get confrontive? Confront people witnessing them. Just get confrontive about it. Here's how the, here's how the Bible says to talk to somebody who's outside the faith. Always be, prepare, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We should respect people who believe differently than we do. We're not going to gain any ground with them by disrespecting them or being harsh with them. Treat them with gentleness and respect. Then Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be full of grace so that you may know how to answer, answer everyone. If we want people to go to heaven with us, which we do, then we should treat them in a way that would give us the best possible chance, and that's what it does. I always think of, of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. I, I listened to a commentary the other day on, on that passage of Scripture, and he said, in that day, it, when it said caught in adultery, it means you literally caught them in the act. That makes a whole different scenario in that scene. These, these Pharisees caught her in the act and drug her out in the street. Can you imagine the humiliation and the shame that that brought to that woman? Did she do something wrong? Yes. But to shame her and humiliate her and ask, what are you going to do with this piece of trash? Shall we stone her? But Jesus, you remember how he responded? He says, he said, go, go and sin no more. He gave her the possibility of a chance. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. So, such a contrast. The woman at the well, the same thing. Married five times. Everybody in town knew it. She was disrespected. She wouldn't even go to the well at the same time as the other people because they gossiped about her all the time. 
Jesus talked to her. You're going to talk to me? You know who I am? Well, I want to be that kind of a person. Timothy says, pursue gentleness. Pursue gentleness. When I read that the other day, I thought, Ginger gets irritated by car chases in, in movies. Oh, well, 15-minute car chase. I don't have to have any acting. What drives me nuts is every detective show you watch, the detectives start chasing the person down the street, don't they? And they're running down the street, and they got their gun pulled. Stop! It's the police! Well, they never stop. They jump over a fence every time. <laughs> every time they jump over a fence. What if I pursued gentleness in a way where I'd, I'm just not going to give up? I'm, I'm going to be a gentle person. It's not natural to me. There's one person in particular, to be unnamed, that when we're around each other, we tend to irritate each other quite a bit. And I can't quite figure it out. I have some clues, but it just seems like so quickly they just bristle. And uh, the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. My natural response when somebody bristles to me is to bristle right back. Pursue gentleness. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. So I bet someone maybe came to your mind this morning when I was talking, or some scenario maybe that came to your mind. And I, as much as any of the fruit of the Spirit that are listed, this one people tend to say, oh, that's just not me. I'm just not a gentle person. Okay. Then pursue gentleness. Be gracious. Be kind. Be the kind of person who restores people, not one who breaks off fragile people. That's the example that Jesus set for us. So, Lord, I know that there's a relationship that comes to my mind it's a challenge at times, and I just pray, Lord, that you'd help me. Just like that detective runs after that person and jumps over the fence, I want to pursue gentleness. I don't want to give up on it. So, Lord, I pray for every person in this room that that relationship that you're talking to them about this morning would come to mind, and, Lord, you'd help them to be softer and gentler and set the tone rather than reflecting the tone. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Can we stand up?